Pastor Xavier Reese with a good perspective on finding guidance and direction. There are times when God's answer will be negatively no to bring about positive results in my life. We should be as happy and as quick to embrace a no from God as a yes. What is it that God has told you no about? You've heard Him clearly, but you think somehow you're going to change His mind. Prayer doesn't change the mind of God. Prayer aligns you with the will of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. You can live your life trying to win the lottery, looking for lady luck, or hoping for a big inheritance. But believe it or not, none of these things will bring you true contentment. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to 2 Corinthians as he shares with us three things that the Apostle Paul learned about contentment when he was blessed with his miraculous visit to heaven. Let's listen. As he moves into chapter 12, Paul moves right into another of his experiences. He revealed here that he had gone to heaven. And once again, his boasting is not in the experience for his apostles credentials as the false apostles, but rather on his strength through weakness by the power of Christ. Now, notice he specified the personal privilege of experiencing uh, heaven here. It appeared about 14 years earlier. Paul described his experience as being caught up. Arpazo is the word, which means to see suddenly, violently, whoom, all at one time by violent force. Paul told the Corinthians, what he heard, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for man to utter. Of course, he's talking about himself, but he says in the third person man. Notice he identifies the third heaven to be paradise, using them synonymously for the same location, the abode of God. Some commentators say that Paul is talking about two different locations. He is not. He's at the end of third heaven as paradise, synonymously. This means, and is confirmed through the New Testament, the bosom of Abraham, Hades. In Luke 16, Jesus spoke about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man went to the place of torment, Lazarus. The poor man went to the place of comfort, paradise, the bosom of Abraham. He told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. 1 Peter 3, 19-21 says he went down. He preached the gospel to those. Ephesians 4 says he led captivity captive. Scooped up all those that were in the bosom of Abraham in comfort. Colossians 2, 14 says he made a public display of those angels that could not hold him, the demons. Then he says that he heard inexpressible words. Paul did not see anything that we know of. The word inexpressible means unutterable. He heard things which are not lawful to be uttered. So God spoke to Paul these words for him and his encouragement and ministry for no one else. They were to be kept for him. Again, he reveals them to an extent, but not completely because of the circumstance and situation. God told Paul, don't describe it, what you saw. Discretion is a lost virtue in today's corrupt society, but it does not come natural. 
It must be cultivated. Each of us need to ask God for discretion as to the things that we share with others, that they be for their benefit and not merely for our boasting. There are some things that God will allow us to experience just for the benefit of our own selves, not for others. Value them. Be discreet. There are other things that um, we're able to use for His glory to benefit others, and we need to use wise discretion when we do so. If you came out of a very promiscuous background, there's a way to share. When I share with you with a family and we go into uh, the intimacy of marriage and all that, use discretion. Honor to the Lord. But the Scriptures declare. Proverbs 1 4 says to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. That's the purpose of Proverbs. Proverbs 2.11 says discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. So the privilege of Paul having gone to heaven was God's sovereign choice. Not because he was so good. Sovereign. Now notice secondly, we get the perception of having gone to heaven. Verse 5 and 6. In verse 5, the apostle Paul would not boast of the one who went to heaven. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast. It almost sounds just the opposite, doesn't it? Paul himself would not boast, nor was he boasting as the false apostles to impress, to provide credentials of his apostleship, and to establish authority over them. And then notice, the apostle Paul would only boast in his infirmities by depending on Christ. He says, except in my infirmities. He revealed his despair of life, trusting only God who could raise the dead in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. That's how he begins the letter. <laughs> Showing that he was weak. Gave up life. He is boasting in the sufficiency of Christ. The person in Christ, he said, the one who pleases God, the one who has access to God, the one who is not seeking to boast in self or bring attention to self, but Christ always. Then notice in verse 6, the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure his foolish boasting was not misunderstood. It's a one-way letter. He knows some of the Corinthians are still partial to the false teachers. Listen to him. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. Paul told them that even if he did boast, he would not end up being a fool. The boasting was reluctantly and by compulsion from both the Judaizers and the Corinthians. He's made this clear, chapter 10, chapter 11, here in chapter 12. If such an occasion took place, though, notice, he would not be a fool. Even if he did boast, we're going to see because it's based on truth. It's not boasting at all. There's a contrast. He would only speak truth. Apparently, the false teachers were giving visions, revelations that weren't true. And that's the whole gist here. It's called discretion. Wisdom. Love for the brethren. That someone would think was better than others due to these visions. He did not want anyone to credit him with spiritual things based on these subjective visions, but rather on the objective evidence of his apostleship to them. The word of God. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are no credentials for spirituality. The Corinthians were 100% beef. They had all the gifts. 
They're just gifts. They're not credentials for spirituality. Because God gives you a vision or a dream doesn't mean you're spiritual. And maybe because you're so carnal, he's trying to shake you up. I don't know. But people try to put these things and therefore I'm bow to me. Get a life. This is the practice of men who are not led by the spirit of God, but the flesh. To present themselves before men in a false manner. To impress them. To deceive and manipulate them. Therefore, he exercised discipline and decided not to share any more visions or revelation. Pride is the number one thing that God hates. Listen to Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. The six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination to him. Number one on the list, a proud look. Satan fell through pride. Second to God. That wasn't enough. A lying tongue. Keep that beast behind the ivory cage. It's got two gates. Marble and flesh. Pride is um, tempered by constantly remembering that all we have has been given to us. Romans 12.3 tells us that. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, What do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, why in the world are you boasting? The only protection against pride is to walk in the Spirit daily. The perception of Paul having gone to heaven was not arrogance, but humility. Notice thirdly, in verse 7 through 10, the price for experiencing heaven. In verse 7, Paul the Apostle knew that God had counterbalanced the elated experience of heaven with a fist from hell. He acknowledged his potential for spiritual pride. This is a little window to Paul's heart. We shouldn't miss it. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. The tendency of our sinful flesh regarding pride is destructive enough. But spiritual pride is much worse and more dangerous than carnal pride. Because you're in a position of leadership or example of Christ. Exalted beyond measure means to be lifted up and raised over someone or something. The reason was for the numerous revelations, don't miss it, apocalypses, given to him. In other words, because of these revelations, Paul had the tendency to be lifted up. And God saw the danger. He's living you into a little window secret into his life here. Sometimes you and I say, oh no, Paul, Paul, I'm sure Paul didn't have no bad thoughts. Sure he did. He had bad breath too. Just like you. Just like I. Now notice the thorn is not identified. The word thorns, scolopes, means a sharp stake or it could be translated a splinter. It's found only this time in the New Testament. The context, without doubt, is talking about a big tent stake that Paul was familiar being a tent maker. This is not a splinter. Okay? This is something that's keeping him down, pinned to the earth. The counterbalance is from God for his sinful nature. Literally, it says, for the flesh, sarks. What it was, we do not know. Much speculation has been made about this. Headaches, eye disease, ophthalmia, physical endurance, the laughs of it, uh, epilepsy, malaria, sorrow for Israel. They're all speculations. A lot of subjective interpretation. We cannot know. 
Um, Paul revealed to the Galatians in 4.15 that they would pluck out their eyes and give it to him. So some say it was I that sees them. We're kind of putting the puzzle together subjectively. Uh, he mentions in Galatians 6.11 that he wrote a letter with a great big letter. So they say, see, it was his eyes. In Acts 23.5, it does say he didn't identify the high priest. And he said something and they slapped him. He said, you slapped me, you white wall? You know, so maybe there was something with his eyes. But he gives no indication here. So it's speculation. We don't know. The thorn was, notice he does tell us, it was a gift from God. Whoa. God gave this to him. Satan didn't give this to him. Now Satan's the instrument, but it's God who's the giver. He understood the thorn to be a gift from God to him to keep him a base rather than puffed up. Listen to his words. A messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. The agent was Satan's messenger, Angelos. An angel. In Spanish, angel. Same thing. We know that Satan is a tool of God in the hands of God at times. The book of Job, chapter 1 and 2. Job loved God. Hated evil. Satan came up and roll call with the rest of the angels. God looked down the, the road and he said, Hey, Lou, what are you doing? He says, Oh, nothing. Cruising up and down the earth. God says, You consider my servant Job? He's an upright man. Loves God. Hates evil. Ah, it's because you blessed him. Let me take those things from him. Go ahead. Don't touch him. Takes house, takes children, everything else. Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord. God gives, God takes away. His wife says, oh, Job, curse God and die. He says, wicked woman, can I receive good at the hand of God, not evil? Oh. Satan comes up again. God says, hey, Luke, what are you doing? He says, what's up? He says, have you considered my servant Job? What about him? He says, ha. Skin for skin, yea, all that a man has, he will give what he has for his life. Go ahead. You can touch him physically, but do not take his life. And all that, Job did not curse God. Now he says some dumb things that God rebukes him. But it's Job that intercedes for all the three physicians of no value. <laughs> Miserable comforters, his friends. Listen, Satan and his angels that are demons are instruments of God at time. God is sovereign. But if he lets the hedge down, he gives you the ability to overcome. It's real simple. An instrument... To afflict him was for his good to keep him humble and dependent on God. And he recognizes looking back. The word buffet means a fist cuff, to strike with the fist. It is used of them beating Jesus in the face in Matthew 26, 67. And the measure is super exalted in self-conceit. God knew this was what Paul needed. What is it that you I've been given by God. Are you bitter against it? Or have you embraced it as a gift to keep you? You see, if we want our will, we may add to our own hurt. If we do His will, nothing can hurt us. Notice in verse 8 down to 9, the Apostle Paul was no fool then. But a wise man commending himself and resting in the wisdom of God. Paul petitioned the Lord to remove it. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. The number three is found throughout Scripture regarding prayer. Daniel prayed three times. And the Lord asked three times, not my will, your be done. In the gospel in the garden, uh, Gethsemane. And Paul knew all about persistency in prayer. To take the relief, whatever it may be. But Jesus answered him. 
And he accepted that answer. The word pleaded there, indicative error is active. It was settled. Never petitioned again. It was embraced rather than rejected. It was used for his strength and for God's glory. Wow. Paul was answered, but not according to his will, but the will of God. Listen, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's grace was sufficient, unfailing for Paul, present, active. God's strength, dunamis, made perfect in weakness. The word perfect means the state of being in completion by the power of God, which is ever perfect and ever sufficient when the need arises. He already began this epistle, as we said, in chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. In chapter 3, verse 4 through 6 again. And so on and so forth. You can find it throughout the whole letter. The meaning in our text is that the power comes to perfection or sufficiency only in the midst of weakness. His grace is sufficient. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. God will never allow us to be tested more than we're able, but will always show us a way of escape. I love that verse and I hate it. Because if I fail, I know I haven't utilized the benefit of God to escape. Notice lastly, you have the Apostle Paul. He gives his concluding wisdom. The last of nine and then ten. Last of nine, Paul would only boast in the power of God. This is his goal. Listen, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He came to a settled conclusion. He would willingly and joyfully... To a greater degree, glory in his infirmities, plural, than his visions and revelations given to him. Solid stuff. The purpose is given, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The word rest means to take possession of him. For protection, for enablement, coming upon him. Remember 2 Corinthians 4, 7? God has put this treasure in the earthen vessel that the power and excellence may be of God, not of ourselves. We always want it for ourselves. That's the problem. That's our sin nature. Just as the presence and the power of God on the prophets of all, the same thing here. Notice the pleasure of Paul was to be empowered by Christ. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and stress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He concluded again to delight in his dependency on Jesus. To enable him for all difficulties, infirmities, weaknesses on any level. Reproaches, insults, needs, things imposed by circumstances or otherwise. Persecutions, sufferings for his faith, distresses, dire calamities. All for the sake of Christ, not for his own stupidity. All right? Not because you're arrogant, not because you insult people, but because of Christ. He understood both by mind and life experience. When he was weak, then he was strong. He boils it down, ladies and gentlemen, to this simple principle. Gideon's a classic example of this with his 300. They had a 10,000 strong army. 
God said, it's too many. You'll boast. He reduced them down, as you know, from the water test. 300. He said, now go get some pitchers. Clay pitchers. Put lanterns in them. Get trumpets. And all at one time, everybody strike the pot. Break it so the light can be seen. Blow the trumpet. The sword and the Lord and of Gideon. And I will deliver the many nights to you. Here's the catcher. We are so enamored with this stinking vessel. We don't, we don't want to break it. So we hide the light. This vessel has to be broken. God wants people to see the light. God doesn't want people to see me. God wants them to see the light of the gospel. We are so in love with the, the vessel. We just love ourselves. And even preachers go, and God said, and, you know, we, just the way they go handle themselves, and, you know. Amazing. For everything that can exalt us, God will counterbalance with abasement. In Paul's case, the thorn in the flesh. What's your thorn? A person? Something that God allowed to happen in your life? Before marriage, during marriage, after marriage, or whatever? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. There are times when God's answer will be negatively no, to bring about positive results in my life. We should be as happy and as quick to embrace a no from God as a yes. A no from God is yes. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Moses was told he couldn't enter the land. Elijah was told that God wouldn't take his life. <laughs> David was told he couldn't build a temple. What is it that God has told you no about? And you're still whining, complaining. You've heard him clearly, but you think somehow you're going to change his mind. He loves you too much. Prayer doesn't change the mind of God. Prayer aligns you with the will of God. Embrace it. For God to avail us of all things would be to cripple us and cause us to take for granted our relationship and dependency through this divine nature that he's given to us and promises in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. It would destroy us. You as a parent, you'll destroy your children if you give them everything. You better learn to say no to your children or you'll be a bad parent. It's interesting that you can be too strong to be used of God while never too weak. Never too weak. The prize for experiencing heaven was abasement through grace. Can you handle that? Man. Paul's experience for going to heaven was used by God to keep him humble and usable. The privilege of Paul having gone to heaven was God's sovereign choice. The perception of Paul having gone to heaven was not arrogance, but humility. And the prize for experiencing heaven was abasement through grace. And I don't know about you, but this is stuff that the church needs today. Every generation is never an exception. Strength from weakness. How are we doing?
Pastor Xavier Reese with three simple steps that will help us live within God's will. And you can request a copy of today's important study called Strength from Weakness. And as always, it's available on CD for just $4. And by the way, we'll be including everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. The title to ask for once again is Strength from Weakness. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Where are you going in life? Join us next time as Pastor Xavier Reese shares the simple truths regarding heavenly guidance in the direction we should go. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 